welcome to a pod short from At The Flicks team members Graham and Jeff. Now this is an unusual show for us because we're going to be positive this episode. Now you know me listeners, I'm always positive, it's Graham the one that's usually down unless the Mel is mentioned. <laughs> so what state are you in Graham, up or down? Oh I'm, I'm always up for this, yeah, madness from Jeff, what more can you expect? Excellent. Any Mel news before we start? No, I haven't got any Mel news for crying out loud. (laughs) See, See, the edge was going off his nice attitude there. Um, (laughs) Testing a person's (laughs) patience. God, dear old Lord. Anyway, I'll cheer you up further, Graham, because I want to talk about some of the At The Flicks achievements this year before we concentrate on one of our most recent achievements and give you a mini film review of a film you listeners probably haven't had a chance to see yet. So, our update. Now this year we've come out of lockdown and we're getting more involved again with the film communities. Now you've got to remember, we haven't been that involved because we're old and Graham's especially frail. So <laughs> we were indoors for most of lockdown. Thank uh, you, Jeff. I'm there to help. So first up. Let me just pull my Zimmer frame closer to the mic. Okay. Uh, I wonder what that scratching noise was. <laughs> oh, dear me. Is it all sorted now? Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm back on the commode. Excellent. Don't go near any magnets. <laughs> so first up, let's talk about our involvement in this year's Stroud Film Festival, where we were actively involved in a film screening. It was a film called Chasing Mandela's Rainbow. If you don't know about that documentary, check out our show 98 on the subject, where we had an extensive chat with film director Gary Janks. If you don't know it, Chasing Mandela's Rainbows about the school system in South Africa, and I thought it was a very powerful piece, well worthy of the Stroud Film Festival. What are your thoughts on the film, Graham? Shocking. Absolutely shocking. I was completely bowled over by it. I thought it was a really necessary documentary film. Mandela made this great promise that everybody in South Africa was going to receive a really good education as as a vision, as a moonshot. And the actual reality of what's happening in South Africa is just, yeah, very disturbing. It's not just like horror, horror, horror. You get to follow three real children, I suppose, that the, when, when the film was made, they were children. And um, yeah, see how their education system works for each one of them. And it's fascinating. Mm. Especially for one who's now, because of his sports achievements, has got his own Wikipedia page. Yep. Yeah, one of the, the young people is, yeah, noticeably much more adapt uh, and, and better educated. And the only girl of the three of them is uh, also very interesting. She wants to be a nurse. And then there's the the oddball in the group. And uh, if you see the film, you understand what I mean by that. Yeah, no, it's it's a good balance on the children. It cuts back and forth. Gary... Before he became a filmmaker, he was an English teacher, so he has, shall we say, a focus on that in the lessons, which I think pays off. And to be honest, I didn't realise until Gary was talking about it that a lot of the Shakespeare quotes that they use in the film also reference to modern-day South Africa. So, yeah, very clever. Now, as I said, we worked to get that film screened, and we also obtained from Gary who unfortunately couldn't make the event himself, a special video clip which was played after the film where Gary answered questions that I'd sent him and updated the audience on what's happened to the principal characters since. And this film played to a packed audience 
and got good reviews from the audience in the festival. Now, as if that isn't enough, we were also invited to the premiere of Falkland Square. If you want to hear our on-set report on that film, check out our episode way, way back on 55. Unfortunately, we were unable to attend that night, but we are hoping to see Falkland Square in the near future. Do you remember those days, Graham, on a film set overlooking the sea? We were down in Portsmouth for that one. You've lost me there. When was that? Yeah. Was, that, oh. yeah. was that in the olden days? It was the olden days before the Black Death. <laughs> yeah. The Great Plague. The Great Plague, yeah. It was great to chat to people, and we are hoping to get in a few film sets uh, later on this year, and we'll give you details of those if and when they occur. That brings us to the event and the film we're going to talk about in the rest of this episode. See, we're old, so we ramble a bit before we get to the point. <laughs> exactly. Now, over the last few years, At The Flicks has been a supporter of the Cheltenham International Film Festival. And as a thank you for our hard work, we were invited to the gala opening of the festival. Now, unfortunately, Graham couldn't attend as he was preparing for our Mel Day special. It's <laughs> a show... That's come in, listeners, and I guarantee you will be as excited as Graham was that day, clutching his I Love Mel pillow as he was watching these films. What an imagination you have, Jeff. <laughs> as I was on my own, I put my suit and tie on and travelled over to Cheltenham for the event. And the film, it was a screening of the highly acclaimed Spanish film The Good Boss, starring Javier Badim. Now, before the film started, I had time to catch up with some of Cheltenham's great and the good, telling them all about the virtues of the At The Flicks podcast, handing out a couple of our cards, of course, and telling them it's the film podcast to listen to. Nobody ever argued with me, which I thought was quite good, but then I never let them get a word in edgeways. So I also spoke to some of the esteemed members of the Cheltenham Film Society and listened to the founder of the Cheltenham International Film Festival, Leslie Sheldon, explaining to everyone why this festival was going to be the best yet. Then the lights dimmed and the good boss was underway. That's all very well, Jeff, but what's the film about? Glad you asked me that, Graham. And I shall avoid spoilers, which I normally don't, in my description and my thoughts on the film. So, the film itself. It's Spanish, so I watched it with subtitles, which is a major step forward for me. Basculus Blanco is the good boss of the title, and he's played, as I said, by Javier Bardem. He's the second generation owner of a family company which produces industrial scales. He portrays himself as a genial boss, wanting to treat all his workers as family. As the film opens, he is addressing all his workers as they prepare to receive, at some point in the next week, a visit from a local committee which could give the company a new award and a healthy grant to go along with it. Except, under the surface, it's not all that good in this workplace. Recently, Blanco has had to make a number of workers redundant, including an accountant called José, played by Oscar Dulafenta. And by the way, any Spanish people listening, I do apologise for some of my <laughs> pronunciations. Um, and José has not taken his redundancy well. He has set up tents opposite the entrance to Blanco's business, along with plenty of banners to highlight his poor treatment. Every time Blanco tries to move Jose on, the attempt backfires. And time is crucial, as that is not a sight he wants the judges to see when they turn up at the factory gates. Then there is ordering manager Morales, played by Manolo Solo, who 
keen-eyed visitors might spot as one of the characters in Pan's Labyrinth all those years ago. And he's one of Blanco's oldest friends. Now, Morales, it's fair to say, has never been great at his job. And he's now worse than ever, ordering the wrong parts or sometimes not even ordering at all. So Blanco takes him out for a meal where he finds out that Morales' marriage is falling apart. Desperate, Blanco takes it on himself to sort matters out with both Morales and his wife. After all, you have to have a happy and productive workers when that committee comes to call in. Finally, there is young, new, attractive, interned Liliana, played by Al Medina Amor, with whom Blanco, although he's happily married, starts having an affair. Needless to say, this has unintended consequences. Can Blanco remain the good boss and win the lucrative prize? He'll have to check the movie out to find out more. So, Graham, after that synopsis, do you regret having your Mel Day and not coming to see this? <laughs> I do, actually. That's a great setup. It seems to be all over the place. This guy doesn't stand a chance, does he? This is a perfect storm film. He's got the mistress. He's trying to sort somebody else's marriage out. He's got his disgruntled employee. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I'm really looking forward to seeing this one. And at least one of those three, listener Frank, would be interested in. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. <sighs> so, the film's had a limited world release so far, outside of festivals like Cheltenham, London and Zurich. It has released in Spain, where last year it was fourth highest domestic earner. Poland, Italy and Argentina, amongst other countries. It has won numerous awards, including six Agoya, that's the Spanish Film Awards, so six Goya Awards out of a record nomination of 20. Javier Bardem has been universally acclaimed for his performance. So that's the synopsis. That's where it is. Let me give you my view. Settle back, listeners. This is, without a doubt, Javier Bardem's film. He is the title character. And yes, it is meant to be ironic. Now, the thing with Javier Bardem, and I'd only seen him in English language films before this, he tends to take unusual and unsettling performances. I mean, Graham, do you think of him in No Country for Old Men? Masterpiece. Whatever happened to that sewing that Neil did for him taking his haircut? Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you, friendo. Yeah, and of course in Skyfall, where he played the villain again. Yeah, you know? yeah and, and he's really good at playing those mean, intimidating parts. But this is more, initially anyway, more of a normal role. He is that good boss. And he wants his company, which makes scales, and again, there's so many comments you can make about the balance of work and life, hmm. to win that top award and to get that money. And for him, more importantly, the recognition. But Bahadim, and I, I'd never noticed this before, actually, to watching this film. He's a big chap, you know? Hmm. I mean, he's he's almost like a, you know, overpowering like a bear almost mm. at times you know when he's fun and he's genial and as this film goes on and you see the facade breaking down and you see sort of what he's really like underneath i think it's just tremendous performance and he is human you know yeah. i mean it's all the character flaws are there towards the end you may not like him so much but certainly in the first half of the film you think yeah this guy's really trying for him alone I would say it's well, well worth watching. Again, the other part of it is this guy didn't earn this company. He inherited it. So he's in the position that 
he has this hail fellow well met attitude, but he's just out for himself, as clearly as a wandering eye, and is just doesn't know what to do when the chips are down. And one thing I liked about this actually that they constantly keep doing in the film, they keep having cutaway shots to a trophy wall and a spotlight just shows a blank space. So it highlights the key ones and this blank space. And as the film goes on, you realise that's the spot he's marked for the trophy that he's going to win if the if, you know if he wins the local competition to be recognised as a top business. He's got delusions of grandeur. And of Ooh. course, yeah. <laughs> The other thing with this is you can't help but think, okay, you're talking about a company, but it could be a country. And yes. who would I naturally assume would be as <laughs> thick and <laughs> as spineless as this guy in charge? And yeah, and oddly, I don't know why, but Boris Johnson sprung to mind. <laughs> Was it the mistress that gave it away the, in the end? Yeah, you know. He, he would have sex with anything that moves. Um, and on the face of it, both of them have charisma and they'd like to be liked. But underneath, it is all just an act. That aspect of it, I, I really like. And, and as it goes on and, and you start to see that, you know, some of this stuff, like getting involved in the marriage, is almost a bit of Benny Hill with the comedy on this. And then, of course, he's with the young girl as well. And you're thinking, yeah, this is fairly repulsive, fairly, <laughs> you know, disgraceful character. And it goes on. And the film in the second half, or, or everything I've spoken about is in the first half. But in the second half, it goes into something that happens that is really dark. The confrontation with the guy outside who won't move, who is, you know, the, the Jose, the redundant worker just escalates and escalates and both of them become as bad as one another on this and then something happens something disgusting happens and Blanco then goes out for revenge for that it becomes almost murderous I mean it's very very violent what happens next and I'm thinking actually for the first time in the film I'm with you oh yeah yeah no 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 I, I think that's right <laughs> I think this level of violence for what just happened to you is absolutely right. And damn the consequences of it. Go for it, Blanco. So maybe that means at heart I'm a conservative. I don't know. But, you know, I might be closer to Johnson than I thought. Finish that thought. Eh? So Now you need to go and do some deep soul searching, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, there is that moment. And when you see it, you'll know the moment. And it is so disgusting, you think. Nah, sorry, they deserve what's coming now. But while I admire this film, and I hope from the tone of what I'm saying that, that that comes across, I think it's really, really, really good. I thought the bringing together of all the strands in the first half could have been tightened. We're put through many uncomfortable situations with Blanco, like when he's out for the meal, when he's confronting Marcellus's wife and trying to get her to sort the marriage out. And he learns some things about Morales that we didn't know as well to start off with. But he still keeps on because he wants a happy workforce and he wants the award. That just keeps layering and layering until the screw is tightened to such a point that it has to all unwind on him. So some of it plays like a Benny Hill sketch, which I think could have done without. But, you know, I'm always willing to say it is a necessity for the fact that the second half of the film, it just goes 
wild. And I've said that this character reminds me of Johnson, and he does in another way as well. It's about positions of power, which is another sub-theme that runs through the film. Liliana, it turns out, I said there's, there's something yeah. happens. She has a power over him that at first he doesn't realise. And he thinks he can control, you know, it's just another woman in his life. I can use her and then get her to move on. It doesn't work in this case. <laughs> she she has something over him that then stops him from doing that. So behind the scenes, she is able ultimately to decide her own fate. And Blanco's powerless to stop her. He has to go along with what she says. So you've got that on the one hand. So it's p people who have the right connections or know information about you control a situation more than, say, the ordinary worker. And there are ordinary workers in this who suffer greatly. And they are just pawns to Blanco's false genial attitude. And that brings me to the final scene of the film, which I will say without spoiling. And it's a shot that's held for an almost uncomfortable length of time. You've got Blanco in the foreground. You've got a worker behind him with a power tool. And they're looking at something. They're about to do something. Or, or they're, they're looking to see if something fits in the right place. The power tool, by the way, is not there for anything sinister. This is not a horror movie. He's just holding it for a piece of work. And as the shot's being held, Blanco starts to get a moment of worry that this worker may know some deep-seated truth about him and his evil deeds might be found out. And, of course, there's a guy still standing behind you with a power tool. So there's this little flicker of concern. And as for the worker, he's done Blanco's bidding all the way through the film. And you see in his eyes just that initial flicker that things may not have been as they were told to him. Now, I'm not going to say any more and, and to what happens, but it's such a perfect last shot for a film. And I think as anything looking at, you know, the, the worker-boss relationship, I think it's, it's a, a tremendous play. But the circumstances of how that scene came about are really clever. And I think it's, it's just a, a wonderful ending. And I haven't mentioned it yet, but I will mention it now. Zeltia Montes' score is absolutely terrific. And we will play a small part of that as we play out of this show. All in all, I'm glad I went. I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I was engrossed by it. Javier Bardem, almost his best performance. I think it takes a lot to top No Country for All Men for me. But it's a great film, and I think if you want to look at the way the world is, particularly this country at the moment, this is the film for you. So, Graham, would you go see it? Absolutely. Absolutely. No shadow of a doubt. This is, this is on my foreign film list. I do, strangely, I've, I've watched a, quite a few foreign sort of comedy, strangely twisted films recently and, and really enjoyed them. And uh, Spanish film... It sounds intriguing, and I, I don't have any problems reading subtitles, so I should be okay. And I think I mentioned this on, on one of our shows, How to Be a Good Wife with Juliette Benoche, which had me in fits. It's a really dark story, but it's very, very funny. Is that a film or a manual? Yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually based on a true thing that the middle-class French people used to send their daughters to learn how to be good wives and learn how to cook and so and do all sorts of things. Yeah, it's uh, really, really fun. Really fun film. Great, great jokes in it. 
I think a Christmas present for my wife is coming out, not the film, the manual. Um, <laughs> okay, and will it be attending your funeral in January then? <laughs> What's the future release plans for this movie and when can I see it? Good question, Graham. It's releasing in Ireland and Germany in July 2022. Other than that, at the moment, unfortunately, it's unknown. There's no plans, as far as I'm aware, to release this on any streaming platform in the near future. I'm hoping that uh, Netflix might pick it up, but nothing at the moment. What we will do to whet everybody's appetite, as if this show hasn't done it enough, we'll put a link to the trailer in the show notes so you can see what you're missing. And when it does come to streaming, as I'm sure it will, we will definitely let you know. Great. Thanks for that, Jeff. So what else have we got planned? Well, we've got some high-profile interviews to bring you and a number of specials. We're already at work on our Christmas and Halloween features, plus all the shows and commentators you love will be back for new episodes over the coming months. It's at The Flicks. We still have many stories to tell you. And see you at The Flicks. Yes, and...